and welcome to the Middlemen Podcast, back after our Easter break. Loads to talk about today, Max. We go through boxing and quite a bit more, taking your ringside pitch side and, as always, sharing a unique journalistic perspective on sport. I'm Noah Abrahams. I'm Max Taylor, as Noah just said. Uh, what an episode we've got coming up for you. After Easter, English boxing has come right back. And speaking of English right backs, we cover Trent Alexander-Arnold and the rest of the other football guys in the latter section. So stay around for it. It's a cracker. Max, let's start by saying that grassroots sport is back. You can now play any outdoor sport. You can see six people outside. I mean, it's been a good week or so, hasn't it? Oh, it's been the best week we've probably had for, for a long while. It's a... Uh, fantastic to get out and see see what's kind of happening to the world finally coming out of its shell for once well not for once but you know for a while we've uh, been used to being so secluded and watch everything be held back and hopefully now as the sun comes out restrictions ease and um, we can all look forward to these next couple of months well my legs have no idea what's hit them loads of power league and uh, they're struggling I'll tell you that much and um, but the first podcast kind of after Easter we had a little Easter break so let's go back to one of the biggest fights of 2021, maybe the biggest, White Povetkin, Dillian White versus Alexander Povetkin. And White regained his status as the WBC interim champion. He produced a career best, I think you can say, um, gaining revenge against Povetkin with a fourth round stoppage. No nonsense from White. I, the body snatcher knocked out Povetkin in convincing style. His performance was a timely reminder of his undoubted quality. And the favourite came out on top max and proved his quality. Yeah. I was surprised to see White be that favourite. And I know in our last episode, I actually did uh, wrongly predict Povetkin to win. Normally, normally <laughs> Mystic Max can actually have some success. Very unlike there. you. Yeah, I, I'm normally all right with my predictions. But unfortunately, you know, it's, it's heavyweight boxing, as, as we always say. Um, mm. that, that is the kind of phrase, the key phrase that has always been around the White and Povetkin match, even going back to last year. Um, but, you know, fair play to me. He'd done his thing. It was fantastic how he... He turned out, I think he took advantage of a poorly conditioned Povetkin. Yes. Uh, there were talking points I saw after the fight of, you know, people questioning his recovery from COVID. I didn't think it looked convincing. Um, and I think he really did look his age in that fight. And that's that's not to um, to go against White at all. I think he still, you know, he, he took advantage of that and, and said, you know, if Povetkin's going to perform like that, I'll just... Um, perform to an even better extreme with myself and that's what he did and that finishing sequence to to knock out White uh, to knock out Povetkin was Super. devastating yeah I mean it's, it's like we always say you have to beat who's in front of you and I agree with you I thought Povetkin la- lackluster he wasn't really at the races and you could tell that he'd suffered from something and maybe he wasn't fully over it. Uh, before we go on to what's next for Povetkin, is it retirement? Where does he go from here? I mean, you'd you think so. Maybe it's a punditry. And let's go on to the more important question. What's next for Dillian White? Uh, because he's below AJ and Fury now. So there's this plethora of competitors who he he could potentially fight and whether he's going to become a heavyweight champion or not, we can discuss in a bit. But here are the odds. Andy Ruiz Jr. is three to one. Deontay Wilder's two to one. Trevor Bryan, four to one. Louis Ortiz, eight to one. Uh, Otto Wallin, who, who's uh, called him out, the Swede, I remember beat Dominic Brazil, didn't he, in February. So he's got quite a lot of opportunities now. It, it's just the case of which one he's going to take next to, to, I suppose, get to the next level. Yeah, the problem is now, you know, I think we're all in agreement that Dillian White deserves a title shot. Because that is what we've been saying for however many years now. 
when he was, you know, the WBC number one for ages. And then he got his mand- mandatory position, obviously lost it to Vivekin and now he's won it back. So he he just does deserve it. There's no, you know, there's no dispute in that. But the problem is in the heavyweight division now, now this two-fight deal is official with Joshua and Fury. No one's looking at mandatory defences right now. Everyone's, when, when it comes to the world champions in that division, they're just looking at themselves fighting. Nobody's even considering um, the the mandatory challenger to fight for about any time soon because, you know, the, these next two fights between Joshua and Fury are going to be up to what? A year and a half, probably. Exactly. And then when the winner of that makes their defence, probably be about two years. So even if White... You know, he he has to keep busy in that time, um, because it is. Yeah, he's got to find he's got to find something to do. Yeah, realistically, it's going to be that long, isn't it? It could potentially be two years or more. So he's got to keep busy, which is a shame because that's been what he's been doing for years on end since he's been waiting for a title shot. But he's just going to have to keep it up. What I love about White is his character and his attitude. He doesn't he doesn't care. He doesn't care that he's got to keep busy. And whilst he's waiting for a title shot, he's happy to go and knock anyone and uh, knock anyone out. And that's great entertainment for the division. It's great entertainment for boxing. And when we're looking at his next opponent, there are there are a lot in the mix, as you said there. Um, but I think the most exciting one, and I think the one the one I've seen on social media the most, which I which everyone is kind of almost in agreement is very exciting, is the match with Wilder. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And these two guys, you know. Wilder's still coming off that loss to Fury. I mean, whenever he's, he's going to get back in that ring, he, he needs to because his career's on the way out otherwise. You, you saw he's kind of mentally suffering, not really getting over the fight. He needs to just get in there again because, uh, you know, the ring, we, we saw how ring rust can affect people this past year. And it's, it's going to affect him if he doesn't get in there soon. So maybe getting back in there against White is a bit dangerous if you look at it from the Wilder perspective. But... If I was white, I think I'd, I'd be happy uh, with that. I, I think I think he could wipe the floor with him potentially. I agree with you. I think that White's a very old-fashioned boxer in the way he goes about his business, and he's happy to knock anyone out. And I don't I don't think you could say the same about Anthony Joshua, who often waits in the wings but doesn't fight in between in between his scheduled bouts. So it, it's an interesting one because he he is overlooked, Dillian White. He has been for years, and uh, he's he will continue to be overlooked until he gets a world title shot. Unfortunately, but. Deontay Wilder, Eddie Hearn wants it. We want it. It'll be a great fight to see. And as I said, the odds are two to one. And it's got its complications because Wilder, is he even ready to get back in the ring with someone like White? And does Wilder stand a chance against White? So many interesting talking points uh, from that potential matchup. But I I suppose the most prominent is, will Dillian White ever become a world champion? Is there a point now where you think AJ and Fury are putting off this fight for so long by the time White eventually gets around to fighting one of those two, it would just be too late. It would be a massive shame. Like, I think if he was to retire without even, well, I think if he was to retire today, he would be known in history as um, one of the best heavyweights to never win a, a, a world title, especially for considering the generation that he's in. You know, he's, he's not the the most technically talented. Um, he, of course, he's hard hitting, but he's not like the heaviest hitting. But he's he's been a fantastic contender over the years. So you know, if, if you put it in any other um, in any other generation of boxing where the heavyweight division was a bit more diluted, he, I think he he walked straight into a, a world title around his waist. You know, but yeah. because we're we're here with Joshua and Fury, it's just been really hard for him to get the chance to. So 
you know, there is there is that possibility that he might not. As I said, that there's that two years, and and look how old he'll be by then. You know, he'll be coming up to his probably his mid thirties by then. So, it most more than likely past his prime when he's fighting for a world title. So even if he gets it, it's, it's unlikely that he'll win it, which is uh, kind of unfortunate. You've got to pity him for the the way his career's gone about in terms of timing. I think. Yeah, absolutely. He's 32 now, so you're right. By the t- by, the time he does get that that big chance, he will be in his mid 30s. And uh, I think it's a shame as well that to the casual boxing fan, you know, the the average fan who kind of keeps a toe in every now and then, they don't really know about White, and that's a shame as well because he has that potential to become a British icon. And uh, whether he fulfills it or not, no one no one knows until he gets uh, the opportunity to fight one of the real big boys. Not that White's not, but obviously you know what I mean. Uh, Dillian, Dillian White is nine years younger than Alexander Povetkin, who's 41. He's fought 40 times as a pro. He's an Olympic gold medalist. It, surely now, after that loss, it's time to hang up the gloves, leave the sport with a really respectable record and go into punditry or coaching or do, do something else, but stay within it, but obviously not within the ring. Yeah, well, boxing has a mean history of uh, holding fighters and competitors uh, who have that who have that worry mentality, the same mentality that Povetkin has. And with that mentality, they stay in the ring way longer than they should have. Even at 41, I would say, you know, I look at any 41-year-old fighter and say, why are you still fighting? But then again, Povetkin is, you still managed to, to um, you know, pull back the, pull back time, pull back the clock with, uh, you saw what he's capable of still, mm-hmm. well, he must have been 40 then at the time of um, when he, when he first fought White. And you still see what he's capable of. So that might encourage him to keep on going. But hopefully his most recent performance, you know, you are only as good as your last fight. And it was a, it was a devastating loss for him. And I would, I, I would, it would be a shame to see him get back in, you know, because I like to see a boxer leave with a good reputation and good health. And, and that's, that's what he's in right now. So I think it would be silly to stay in the ring any longer. Well, you've led me absolutely perfectly onto our next talking point, Carl Frampton, who, just like you said, has left the sport with a really respectable record, just the right time, only as good as his last fight. Unfortunately, he's aged a little bit, uh, but what a legend. The Northern Irishman was back in action on Saturday night in Dubai. He took on Jamal Herring for the WBO Super Featherweight title. He lost in the sixth round. If he won, Frampton would have become Ireland's first three-weight world champion not to be, uh, and he's retired after 12 years. I mean, he's hung up his gloves after some fantastic years of boxing. And before we talk about that legacy, what did you make of the Herring loss? Um, Jamie Moore did the right thing throwing in the towel, didn't he? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Herring was all over him. You know, he knocked him down. Um, I think it was, it was even more than once, wouldn't it? I know I knew he, he hit him with that uppercut, clean uppercut. Uh, Herring looked, looked fantastic. That night, to be fair, I wasn't expecting him to look that good. I thought he would win it, but I didn't think in that fashion. Um, he done a great job, but you you have to, uh, you know, there's no way you can't give props to Frampton for what he's done in his career and even taking that fight to step up and do it. Um, unfortunately, you know, he fought um, he fought a, a couple of guys. Obviously, most notably took that loss against Warrington in I think late 2018, and then he fought a couple of guys that no one really knew, and then had this great opportunity and. It was unfortunate not to see him grasp it, but you, you got to be realistic. Um, and realistically, was he ever going to do it? I don't know. But I think win, win or lose, it was always um, good to go out at this time. Absolutely. Well, uh, look, loads of people have been admiring the career of Frampton. Herring himself said, 
yes, this is probably the biggest victory of my career, but I want for everyone to pray and show love for Carl Frampton. I'll always be a fan. He's a true gentleman. God bless you, my man. Please make it home safely to your beautiful family. That was really nice from Herring. Uh, Andre Ward said, congratulations, Carl Frampton, on a wonderful career. You duck no one class act. Michael Buffer, uh, class, respect, the sportsman. Uh, three reasons why we love boxing. The list goes on. Jamie Moore said, Carl Frampton will be remembered for what he is, an amazing fighter. He's achieved amazing things. And someone who united a country, of course, and gave them unbelievable memories. So your turn now, Max. I mean, those kind of tributes to his career there. How much will boxing miss Carl Frampton? Well, I think everyone's kind of taken any words uh, of, of praise that I would say to Frampton right out of my mouth. And, you know, you can only speak highly of the guy yeah. for what he's achieved. And, yeah, I, I, as as uh, that last tweet just said, you know, not just in the ring, outside the ring as well, for what he's done for his countries um, is, is, is fantastic. You know, the, the guy is, I know we use it, we do use it a lot in this day and age, but he is truly a legend of boxing. Um, and especially in Britain, he'll be remembered for years and years. Well, someone who wants to be remembered for years and years as a true British boxing legend is Conor Ben. Uh, so let's look ahead to this weekend. He's a rising welterweight star. He'll face off against Samuel Vargas in what should be a war of attrition on Saturday night. And Ben will put his WBA continental welterweight title on the line against Vargas at the Copper Box Arena in London. Ben's called Vargas a stepping stone. He says that he intends to beat him more comprehensively than Mir Khan could. So that's a statement in itself. Eddie Hearn says that'll be the toughest fight of Ben's career so far. Vargas, in response, I don't know uh, how he can knock me out. That's not happening. It's not even a thought. So it should be an absolute firecracker, Max. Can Ben deliver on his promises? Uh, will it be as one-sided as he's predicted it's going to be? Well, you know, there is, uh, not, to, not to hit you with another cliche phrase, but there are levels to this game. And um, Ben is Ben is stepping up a level. Um, you know, Seb Formella in his last fight was kind of he was meant to be a a, a world, at the world stage, but you know he hasn't been he hasn't fought this type of opponent in Vargas. Vargas won't step off like Formella. Vargas will bring the smoke. But do you know what? That's exactly what Conor Ben wants. You know, we're talking about uh, White being a throwback fighter. We're talking about how. Um, you know, White just loves loves a good scrap. So does Conor Ben. So that's if I'm going to sell you this fight to anyone that's tuning in, that's why you need to watch it because this guy is full of entertainment. He don't step off the gas. To be fair, in his last fight, he showed a lot more discipline because, you know, if, if you do go in full steam ahead, that's not how you win. That's not how you go to the top. And obviously this guy, you know, being the son of Nigel Ben, a, a true a world champion he wants to go to the top of course he wants to replicate you know it's a family business that's yeah. exactly what he wants to do so um he's shown more discipline so we know that's in his arsenal now but that, you know if he's always going to go for the knockout if, if it's there he's going to try and take it and Vargas as, as he said he's going to do everything in his power to stop that from happening so I think it's going to be a fantastic fight it could really be you know, it's not necessarily flying under the radar, but I think it's got people don't realise the potential that this one can live up to. Well, I love the family feel in boxing, first of all. I love the fact that you've got Conor Ben, that you've got Campbell Hatton and Chris Eubank Jr. I love that that's the way boxing's going. And we've had it with, you know, Layla Ali and a few others, but it is great to see the direction we're going in. If Conor Ben remains undefeated against Vargas, do you think that could propel him to a world title fight? Um, do you think he'll get one immediately after Vargas? He's got a lot, long way to go, hasn't he? Yeah, uh, that's. I think that's way too early. A lot of people 
especially people like us who have to speculate on these type of things, get really quite ahead of themselves and have a bit of recency bias and think, oh, he's done great there. And then try and like throw him right up the ladder. And I think, you know, this guy's still young. And if he's turning out good wins, that's fantastic. There's no need to throw him in the deep end straight away. And the welterweight division, there's a lot of talented divisions in boxing right now. The welterweight division is more stacked than you think it is. We got, you know, we have people, big prospects like um, Virgil Ortiz turning out a, a big uh, victory against Mo Hooker uh, quite a few weeks ago now. But, you know, that's that's another youngster who wins and people want to throw him straight up to the top. You know, there's there's a lot of people like Ben and Ortiz that are about, that are in the mix right now. I think they still need a bit of building up before they take on um, before they take on a true champion, because you know people were trying to make um, Ortiz and Crawford a fight as soon as Ortiz won. I'm thinking just just slow the brakes a bit. Um, but you know Conor Ben's with Matchroom Boxing with Eddie Hearn, one of the best promoters in the game right now, um, and I think he he'll know he, he'll know not to throw Ben straight in the deep end if he turns out this win, um, and and he can get a good few fights leading up before he gets on that world stage but I think it's there for him I really think it is yeah um and he has to prove that to us in this fight this weekend he's in safe hands uh with with Eddie Hearn so you're right I think it's very easy not just in boxing but in football as well when you've got a young player uh, to, to think of them as though they've been in the game 10 years they haven't they're starting out they will make mistakes and uh, not that Conor Ben has he's undefeated which is pretty incredible but uh, look, he's young, and I think that's the point. We need to give him time to grow and to develop. Uh, Savannah Marshall, let's talk about her for a minute because she's also fighting this weekend. She's the WBO Women's Middleweight Champion. She makes her first defense on Saturday, uh, and there's been a bit of confusion around this. It's no, lo- it's no longer going to be against uh, Femke Hermans uh, because a member of Hermans training team con- contracted coronavirus, so stepping in to replace her, uh, from Sweden is the four-time world title challenger Maria Lindberg. She's 44 years old, so an underdog by, I'd say, some distance. Um, Marshall, though, will need to adapt because uh, three days' notice, I mean, if I chucked you in the ring with someone uh, that you hadn't prepared for with three days to go, th- that's going to be tough for anyone. doesn't matter if she's fighting a 44-year-old. Yeah, and this, is, this makes this fight a little bit more fun now when you realise how short it notice does. it was. Because, you know, a- anyone can prepare for anyone. Um, that's, that's what pro boxers do. They study uh, their opponent when, when the fight's been announced. They, they prepare. They almost, their training camps are adjusted to who they're fighting for and potentially their style actually when they get in the ring. So it's quite, well, quite heavily based. It's very heavily based, um, you know, the lead up to a fight uh, on who you're fighting come uh, the day of the event so it, it will be a spanner in the works for Savannah Marshall but as we said this this challenges an underdog by a big distance it's, it, yes. she's going to cause she's going to cause problems she's she's had she you know she's very experienced she's fought for uh, a world title several times so it's not going to be easy for Savannah Marshall um, but I don't think it's going to be hard either I think it's just going to be the 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 uh, kind of good amount of, of experience for her to go forward with um, and I think, you know, in many, many years to come, when she kind of looks back on her career and looks uh, at her kind of where, where she went and how she did it, I think she'll kind of credit this fight that she's going to be having on the weekend because she's going to be like, yeah, that, that taught me a few things, especially adapting to um, an upcoming opponent. And th- those are things that champions learn along the way. Yeah, I'm sure she'll learn from it. And she's a professional and she knows what she's doing and she's 
a very intelligent girl uh, by the looks of things. So I'm sure she'll be fine. If she wins and it all goes to plan, then eventually the plan is to challenge the pound for pound queen, Clarissa Shields. Uh, and Marshall remains, let's not forget, the only fighter to hold a victory over Shields in any shape or fashion. And that was back in uh, the Juro's amateur boxing days on the road to London 2012, the Olympics. So that would be a fight worth waiting for, wouldn't it? Uh, Marshall versus Shields. Mate, honestly, I know a lot of, you know, female boxing is, is, is on the rise and a few of the big fights that deserve recognition kind of go under the radar. Nobody at any cost can sleep on this fight. It is you know, you just said it then, it's got the history yeah. and it and it's got the present because both of these girls are, are doing fantastically now. Clarissa Shields, as you said, number one pound for pound and she's fighting uh, a, a world title uh, champion now who has the only winner, mate, that you could not make it any more of like, you, you could not put more of a story behind that fight. So it, ha- it has everything. Um, ability, you know, plot, it's just, it's just the perfect... A boxing story and I think it will do a lot for, for female boxing in the future so that is that is the fight to make less uh, fingers crossed that Savannah gets through this which I really think she will and then hopefully you know I'll have everything crossed for her to uh, fight Clarissa Shields in the near future it would be incredible and female boxing is incredible actually I mean look it's like boxing so any sport sometimes it's not Sometimes you'll get a boring matchup and it's not going to be entertaining, but often actually female boxing doesn't get the credit it deserves and it really should. Uh, we're going to go on to a fighter from Watford and, you know, I don't want to toot Watford's horn, but we've got Anthony Joshua, we've got Elton John, uh, George Michael grew up around the corner. We don't have barbers open, so no one's got a fresh trim like you, Max, uh, but we do have Shannon Courtney uh, and she will fight Ebony Bridges. Uh, they'll clash uh, for the vacant WBA bantamweight title on Saturday night. And there's been a lot, a lot of tension between the two and a a bit of heated debate over drawing more eyes for the fight. So I think the argument is essentially that Bridges wants eyes on the fight, however she can get them. And I think she doesn't really mind. She's quite feminine in the way she goes about uh, her weigh-ins and uh, ring walks and Courtney's, not and Courtney's quite I, I suppose old school and there's been quite a lot of beef I'm just going to use the word beef because there has been and Courtney says she's not a proper role model and it, it's all kicked off a little bit but th- let's go back to the boxing and it's going to be an interesting fight because both athletes have an incredible story Bridges is a school teacher a maths teacher from Australia uh, Courtney had to work really hard to get to where she is came into the sport very late it's at the copper box um, Bridges is undefeated. Courtney has the one loss to Rachel Bull, but it's going to be another cracker to look forward to, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, there is a lot of uh, heat going into this one, uh, as you've just said. Let's, let's call it as it is, Noah. You know, Ebony Bridges is, is flaunting what she's got, isn't she? Absolutely. Uh, and, she, and she's built up, she, in, you know, that, and that's not even a bad thing. She's built up a massive audience. You know, more eyes to the fight. That's that's exactly what you said. But it also, you know, in the press conferences, gives uh, Shannon Courtney a, a bit of ammunition, a bit of something, you know, to a bit of a, a verbal jab before they actually get in the ring and start throwing their physical ones. So yeah, that you know, it heats it up. It, it makes it great because people, you know, it might not be might not have heard of this fight, and then you you see you hear what's going on with them. You hear Courtney calling her out. All of this, it it makes it fantastic and. That's that's what um, boxers in this modern age really need to do if if they want attention. It's kind of you know you, you see it a lot. Yeah. 
mostly exemplified by your Conor McGregor's and your Floyd Mayweather's, putting a lot of personality behind the fight. And it's great that we've got um, two fantastic, charismatic girls that are going to put it all on the line this weekend. And um, yeah, hopefully there's a, there's loads of them tuning in because there is ability there as well. Both of them um, are good, good fighters. As you said, Courtney lost to Rachel Ball. Hopefully that rematch happens soon. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I see it on social media a lot as well. Um, Britain are fully behind Courtney and hopefully Australia is behind Bridges as well. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that one as well. Well, glad you said it how it was because I was I was struggling to tiptoe around it. But look, <laughs> I, you're right. Uh, if if that's the way Bridges wants to go about it, the fair play to her. And if she's going to attract more people for it, then more eyes on boxing, I suppose. Uh, plenty of eyes on both Chelsea and Liverpool this week. Uh, so we'll start with Chelsea because I feel like it's a little bit different. Uh, Chelsea, who are my team, I've had a pretty mixed Easter and a very embarrassing 5-2 defeat to Big Sam's West Brom. What was that last weekend? A better midweek for Chelsea beating Porto in the Champions League quarterfinals 2-0. I assume you want to touch on uh, the 5-2 defeat more than the (laughs) 2-0 victory. So we can and I'll say that I thought Thiago Silva was idiotic. He came in and made two rash challenges after being out for 10 games and uh, let's not beat around the bush. Chelsea lost the game because Thiago Silva was reckless. Uh, however, however, Chelsea, the quality Chelsea have, and I know you, you could say we were waiting for that loss. You know, there was, there was a loss coming for us after such an incredible run at the start of Tuchel's reign. But Chelsea should be defending with nine outfield players uh, against a West Brom side struggling for their lives at the bottom of the Premier League. And I, I know that when you're in that position, you have nothing to lose. You're going to go for it. But I, I thought Chelsea played just as Liverpool did against Real Madrid, as a Sunday league team, a pub team, it looked like they had no game plan. It was a really poor watch uh, as a Chelsea fan. And what made it even worse, I was, I was really bitterly disappointed with this, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, is uh, the racist abuse that was thrown at Callum Robinson. He, was, he received more than 70 abusive messages. And uh, that, for me, rounded off a horrible weekend. And it's a horrible thing to see. And I, I feel like we're talking about it every week. And I feel like every week we say the same things. But I, I think if we stop talking about it, that's what the racists want, isn't it, really? So um, three very prominent clubs are coming off social media this week. I think Rangers, Swansea City and uh, Birm- might be Birmingham City. Three big clubs are coming off social media this week. And it's appalling, isn't it? It's vile. Yeah, as you say, it's a regular topic, unfortunately. It, it really is. Um, and, and I say that every time it gets brought up. Because it, it happens that often, it's just that it's just shocking. It is absolutely shocking to. It's, it's almost expected now, and the the quicker it gets out of the game, the better. But I just know it can't be like that. You know, it's going to take time. But it's it's going to take time with clubs. You know, it's, it's going to progress progressively, get better when clubs are being proactive and start calling. Um, you know, those people out about it. And that's what's happening right now. As you said, the club's coming off social media. I think, um, you know, you see now you don't just see the abuse and you don't just hear about the abuse, but you hear about the reaction. And I think now that there's a reaction, fingers crossed, that sets it off um, in the right way and, and removes it from the game. 
uh, for the better. Hopefully that is the right way to go about it. I can't really think of any other method that will uh, get it out of the game. But it's nice to see people, you know, obviously football is a very polarising game. You've got teams playing against teams, fans against fans. But this is one thing that unites us in that we can all agree it doesn't belong here. It doesn't belong anywhere. Um, and, you know, and, and it goes for football as well. Um, it, it needs to get out of the game and everyone's united in, in, in that sense. Uh, everyone's all behind the fact that these racist scum need to get called out on what they're doing and they do punish the better. Yeah, it, it's not tolerated in society and it shouldn't be tolerated in football and it, it's not being tolerated. And uh, Chris Hewton said it to me in, in the Nottingham Forest press conference, he will do anything it takes to, to stamp it out of the game. And maybe this is me being naive, but I don't see it in other sport or, or not as much anyway. I don't see it in boxing like you see it in football. You don't watch a fight between... Uh, I don't know, Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder. You didn't have the racist abuse towards Deontay Wilder. At least I didn't see any. I'm sure there, yeah, it would be naive to think there wasn't any, but it's it's like for some reason football fans, well, they're not real football fans, are they? But these idiots who think they're football fans believe that they can do what they want. And it it, it really is baffling. Yeah, I think it's... You know, you guys uh, who are listening now, you can go back to episode two, actually, because we spoke um, with Galal Yafai about it. And he yeah. said, no, you know, I, I've, I've never experienced this. And how long has he been an amateur now for, for years? You know, this, this exactly. guy's a veteran in the amateur game, a, a big audience, and he's never got anything. I don't know if that's because it's the nature of boxing, you know, on on a um, yearly basis, people see what these boxes are capable of. So they're probably, um, <laughs> you know, some who would be quick to abuse any other, um, a- a- anyone else, they kind of a bit hesitant to do it with the boxes because they actually know what they're capable of. But I, that doesn't mean that they should um, go and, and spread the abuse anywhere else. And it's just shocking to see it go I- into other sports. And it is mainly football. And I, I, I don't know why, I don't know why it is so prominent in football. I don't know how that came about. And as you said, it's so, you know, hardly in any other sport. So, um, as I said, the quicker something can get done about it, the better. And hopefully um, football is headed in the right direction to get out of the game. Exactly. We need to stamp it out. Um, and you know, we'll go from the vile to the beautiful because let's get back to talking positive. And uh, the beautiful, well, he's a beautiful man, Mason Mount. Uh, he, he's, a, he's not just very good looking, but he's brilliant with a football. And uh, what a goal against Porto. Two-touch finish. Controls it. Finishes so nicely. Took it uh, just brilliantly. And it... It is, look, I, I said it a few weeks ago, and I've, I've been a bit controversial with it, and I've said I'd take James Madison over Mason Mount, and Mount now is making, is make, it's making it difficult for me to stick by Madison, and there are several reasons that I'd have Madison. One, he's brilliant off a free kick, a set piece. I think he's uh, a better creative footballer, but when you, when you look at Mount playing the way he did in Europe midweek, it's hard not to back him. Mate, it is about time you jumped on the Mason Mount bandwagon. I've been behind it for ages, and, I know. and now we've called it your stop. And it's it's time it's time you jumped on. And I'm glad that he swayed you now because you know he, he's been consistently doing it for pretty much all season. So you know when, when I saw it, I was sold straight away. Obviously, people are going to be, especially actually, um, people always say about football fans being kind of biased to their team. But I, I think in your case, you kind of be extra critical of him, don't you? And he's he's taken you um a while to actually get you outside and convince you, but. Yeah, exactly. But now you're convinced um, this guy is capable of everything. And I think you, you said, yeah, that is Madison's strength. You know, um, he, he's a good set piece specialist, but 
that's all you lose if you pick Madison over Mount. I still, know, I still uh, think Madison's more creative. Madison, I mean, I, I still think Madison's a more creative think? player. Yeah, I do. Mount, I think Mount's a more natural leader, uh, and he, he, he's like look. It's like looking at a mini Lampard when you look at Mason Mount. And I, I was going to say as well, uh, football fans, I think it's either you're very critical of your own players or you're very biased of your own players, and there's never really a middle ground. So I'm happy that we can give our middlemen take on it and. A player I wanted to talk to you about, three words to round off the podcast, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who I'm going to praise against Arsenal. I thought he was the best player on the pitch. What a performance as you, you ran over Arsenal, you steamrolled them 3-0 in the Premier League. And that, and he was proving a point to, uh, to Gareth Southgate that he's worth taking to the Euros. And everyone thought that you'd go into the Real Madrid game off the back of the Arsenal game with some momentum and that wasn't the case and Real Madrid ran the show and look, he had a shocker didn't he Trent Alexander-Arnold so what have you made of his week you must be in two minds about taking him to the Euros as a Liverpool fan well I, I just love how you uh, say this till last for to sneak in a bit of a <laughs> Liverpool slander before to, we finish to. <laughs> but now uh, you are you are spot on mate honestly he um he, he was the best in the Arsenal game and the worst in the Real. Yeah, he was. Um, and you know he, he's he's made us all look like fools. All, all every Liverpool fan that got behind him and got happy for his comeback uh, when he played against Arsenal for him to do that against Real has just made us all eat our words. But I think I think you can take these two fixtures away if you remove them from his record. I think you still have to. I think it, it should be undoubted that you take him to the Euros and you and you put him second in line. Uh, in the pecking order after Walker. But of course, you know, we, we spoke about how you're either critical of your players or you're biased. Um, I'll, I'll be fair when I'm talking about the Real game and I'll say he had a shocker, he but it, he's he's the second best England right back. And um, he, he was great uh, against Arsenal. He was really good. Um, hopefully he can continue that in the Prem and hopefully he can also amend what he did uh, in the first leg, especially that header to Asensio. Oh, oh, he, he's terrible. not going to live that down for a while. Who, who's the best England right back? If if uh, Trent's a second, uh, Kyle Walker for me definitely. Do you think? Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, is is the the experience that he's got in, in the other tournaments? Um, he, he's got you know creativity going forward, and he's got um, he, he's great defensively as well. I think he's the best all rounded uh, right back. And when you put his you know many many uh, previous England appearances before it, he's just he's the go to man. Well, yeah, I'd have to say Reese James, but I think that, I think that probably <laughs> is being a little bit biased. Uh, and we will end the podcast on that very biased note. He's a great player, Reese James, but yeah, probably not quite up to Trent's level just yet. And actually, I think you're right. I think class is permanent and form's tempering. It would be very wrong not to bring him to the Euros because of two two poor games he's had or a poor week. Uh, you know, he is, everyone knows, Liverpool's he's not their best player but one of your very best players and uh, yeah it'll be a shocker for Southgate to leave him out of the team obviously our thoughts as well with uh, the Royal Family and Prince Philip what a man a great public servant and uh, someone who, who risked his life in the war and uh, who was a sports fan I don't think he enjoyed football or boxing very much but uh, horse racing certainly so our, our thoughts to the Royal Family and, and to, to everyone else in the country mourning his loss um, but if you want to go back and listen to Middleman Podcast, then do so on Spotify and all major streaming platforms. Uh, if you want to go see Max's fresh trim, 
then check out his barber's <laughs> Instagram. You can probably see Max tagged in it somewhere uh, on Max Taylor's Sportsgram and Instagram. But yeah, great podcast as always, Max. And thank you so much for listening, everyone. Happy to have come back from Easter, guys, you know, bigger and better. Hopefully you enjoyed this big, you know, the first double digit episode of The Middlemen, the big number 10. And um, yeah, just excited to bring you even more in the future. Thank you, Noah. Cheers, guys.